0: Today we're going to talk all about cameras for video games. Hey everyone, welcome to the 67th episode of the Game Dev Field Guide. I am your host, Zachavelli. If you'd like to reach out to me, you can find me on Twitter at underscore Zachavelli underscore, or tune in for Game Dev streams on Monday, Wednesday, Friday at noon Eastern. I'm also pretty available almost every day on our community Discord. I'll leave a link to that in the show notes. With the intro done, let's move on over to the Game Dev Challenge. The Game Dev Challenge is the part of the show where I provide a prompt to the listeners. And it's intended to be a 15 to 30 minute exercise that reinforces the ideas of that episode. Listeners then post their ideas on the Game Dev Challenge channel of the community Discord. We vote for a winner and I read the winner's post live on the show. Last episode's Game Dev Challenge was to talk about your favorite JRPG and how it plays to the strengths of the genre and avoids the weaknesses. You'll remember that episode 66 was all about JRPGs, and surprising no one, you all had a lot to say about JRPGs, but we all know there can only be one winner, so the winner for the episode 66 Game Dev Challenge is Sigrets. Sigretz's post is quite long, so I'll have to paraphrase it, but it goes as follows. For my first Game Dev Challenge submission, I would like to speak about Golden Sun. Its strengths are the music, the combat and class system, and exploration. And Segretz goes on to describe each of the things. Segretz mentions to listen specifically to a song called elemental stars, to get the feeling of a magic land and adventure behind everything. But where I think the real interest of Golden Sun, or at least after reading Sigurds' post, uh, the real interest is in the combat system and the exploration. Sigurds' post says, "Well, the combat system is a classic turn-based RPG, which by itself is not considered a strength, there is the f- added factor of the Jin." Jinn act as equipable elemental little creatures that also have usable skills in fights, and they're one of four elements: fire, earth, wind, or water. And they can be found in the overworld. A player can equip up to eight jins, and each one of them have different stats and skills. Interestingly enough, jins are also what determines the class of each character. All characters have base classes at the start. By combining different kind of jins. You can create different classes with a lot of different skills and statuses, making the game infinitely more customizable. For reference, in Golden Sun 2, there are over 25 classes you can get. That's only a small piece of what Sigurds' post says, but I think that uh, that alone shows you how Golden Sun has approached its strength. Remember, we said... Uh, in episode 66, that a strength of the JRPG genre is long-term progression, and interesting progression. And this Jin system, I've never played Golden Sun, so I don't know firsthand, but in the way that Segretz has described it, it sounds extremely customizable. And um, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting way to progress the characters. And I can see why Golden Sun is so highly regarded. Interestingly enough... Secrets does mention that one of the weaknesses is the game's difficulty. And part of that is understanding the Jin system. And I can see how that would be really overwhelming because it's kind of unlike any other RPG system. The thing that makes it extremely unique and interesting is also the thing that makes it maybe a little bit confusing. In episode 66, I name-dropped a lot of famous JRPGs. Uh, in fact, there were so many out there that it was hard to get them all into the episode, and I definitely did not. And Golden Sun is one of the ones that I did not mention, but I know it is extremely highly regarded. And after reading Sagrets's post, I can understand why. Just keep in mind that I really condensed his post down into uh, just something that was easily readable uh, here on the show. But Segritz really put a lot of effort into this post and went on a deep dive for it, so I would encourage you to go read it for yourself on the Game Dev Challenge channel on our community Discord. So yeah, with all that said, congrats to Segritz for winning the Episode 66 Game Dev Challenge. For Episode 67, I'd like you to pick a game that you think would benefit from an alternate camera angle or perspective and tell us about it. Today we're going to talk a lot about camera perspectives and why certain perspectives are good for genres and why some perspectives aren't as good for other genres. And I thought it'd be really interesting to consider games where changing the camera perspective um, changes the games. I think it could be a really fun what-if scenario. So yeah, I'm curious to hear what you guys come up with and I'd like to see how creative you can get with it. I can imagine something like, what if Super Mario 64 was first person? How does that change the game? (laughs) I think it would change it for the worse, but that was just the first example I could think of in my head. It'll be a really fun challenge, not necessarily one where I think you have to pick the perfect combination, just something that I think would be a good creative outlet and make you think about today's episode. So yeah, if you'd like to participate in that, just go on over to the community Discord. There's a link in the show notes. And uh, write up your post on the Game Dev Challenge channel. With that out of the way, let's move on over to the body of the episode. Today's episode is focused on cameras. And I've definitely visited cameras here on the show, uh, but we've never really had a dedicated episode for it. So I thought it'd be a good idea to focus in on the topic and kind of put everything all in one place. There's going to be a mix of old and new information. It's mostly new information, but we are going to go back over some ground that I've already been over on older episodes. But the point is, there should be plenty to take away from today's episode, especially for something that is so important. And the reason the camera is so important is because it's how your player visually interacts with the game. I can't understate how important it is to have a good camera. I would even say having a basic understanding of video game camera techniques is a must for every developer. It doesn't matter how good your story is, or how striking your art looks, or how fun your mechanics are, without a good camera, the game will be severely diminished. So we know a good camera is important to the game, but where do we start? Well, I think we should start with perspective. And when starting with perspectives, there's something that we need to talk about Um, that I think is important with any perspective, and that's field of view or FOV. I've done a whole thing on FOV in episode 52. I just wanted to mention it off the bat that field of view is very important to consider when thinking about the camera's perspective. I would even say go back to episode 52 after listening to today and just make sure you have a good understanding of why it's important to have good FOV. Okay, so let's jump back over to specifically talking about games' camera perspectives. I think there should be a lot of thought put into what perspective your game is going to use. Because certain perspectives work better for certain games. You probably already know this, but I think it's an easy thing to look over. It's hard to describe what perspective is. I think it's easier just to name a few and you'll, you'll get a sense for what it is. You have a first-person perspective. You use these in games like first-person shooters. There's a third-person perspective. That's for things like action games. You might have a bird's eye perspective for a game where you build a city. Or a 2D side-scrolling perspective for a 2D platforming game. I think you innately know what a perspective is if you've ever played a video game, but I wonder if you've ever asked yourself why these perspectives work. Like, you could make a shooting game from a third-person or bird's-eye view. And there are shooting games that do it like that. But if you look at it analytically, why do some games, shooting games choose a first-person perspective, and why do some choose a third-person perspective, or any other? If we can get a better understanding of why certain games choose the perspective that they do, then with that understanding, we can make good decisions for our own games. So let's look at three shooting games all with different perspectives and sort of compare them. And let's find out why they chose the perspective that they did. Let's start with first person. I'll pick Call of Duty just because I think everybody knows what it is. Call of Duty is a first-person shooter where you're looking through the eyes of a person holding the weapon. In Call of Duty, gunplay and immersion are two of the biggest strengths of the game, and so the camera naturally has to play to that strength. Gunplay is best when viewed through first-person, and that's simply because you have the highest skill potential in shooting, when you can actually look down the sights of the gun. It gives that feel of actually manipulating the weapon in your hands. And that also adds to the higher immersion, and immersion is important in these games. I know a lot of people play Call of Duty for the multiplayer, but the single player is all about building these immersive action experiences. And it's simply easier to see yourself in the story or situation or action set pieces when you're viewing it in first person, as if you were the one there. By the way, Call of Duty campaigns have some of the coolest immersive military stories. And I think experiencing them in first person is something that can only really be done in video games. And Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare, in the level All gillied Up, You feel what it's like to be hidden from someone who is only feet away from you and you feel the tension that you might be revealed. You get this awesome immersive experience where you play as a gillied Special Forces soldier sneaking through the grass and being totally camouflaged and watching soldiers pass almost like you were a predator. It's a feeling and level of immersion that you wouldn't get from watching a movie about Gilly Snipers, or even a third-person game, as it wouldn't be as raw. There's also some really cool things you can do from a first-person perspective in terms of storytelling. It's not just about the immersion. You could make the player the villain, for instance, and have them literally see things through the villain's eyes. Go look up or play the level No Russian from Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. And I don't mean the new Modern Warfare 2, I mean the one that came out in 2009. I should warn you that that level, No Russian, has an extremely mature theme uh, that will definitely leave you feeling kind of gross. But again, it's playing with the idea of putting you in the villain's role through the use of first-person immersion. I hope you can see through those examples how Call of Duty uses first-person perspective to play to its strengths, immersion, and gunplay. Let's look at a different game example and how its camera perspective choice is the right choice for that game. The next shooting game I want to look at is the stealth action game Metal Gear Solid V. In Metal Gear Solid V, there's a lot of stealth gameplay. In fact, it's mostly about stealth. You're sneaking around compounds, crawling through grass, and hiding in boxes. And a skill that's really important and something that is part of the core game loop is observing your enemies. Watching the enemies to see what they're doing and predicting what they're going to do next is really important. In Metal Gear Solid 5, the camera is third-person, over-the-shoulder style perspective. Because of this, it makes observing the enemies a lot easier. And if you think about a few scenarios, it makes a lot of sense. If you're hiding around a corner, in real life, you're looking in the first-person perspective. And you can't really see what's around the corner unless you look. But with a third-person camera, you can see around the corner while you're still hidden. And this actually plays more into the feeling of Metal Gear Solid V. The main character and person you play as is Venom Snake or Big Boss. It depends on if you think he got facial reconstructive surgery and subliminally brainwashed to serve as Big Boss's body double. And, yeah, I just won't go more into it. It's a Kojima game. Uh, There's a lot going on there. But the point is, you play as a nearly supernatural special forces soldier who is a master at spying on people and remaining concealed. If the game was played in the first person perspective, this would make for really goofy moments where you have to walk around a corner to see what was there. And what if there's a soldier right on the other side of the corner? It would kind of break the story and the feel of the character if he was constantly, awkwardly stumbling into situations like this. But with the third person camera, you as the player can see what's around the corner while you're hiding. And it's almost like the character has this supernatural vision of what's around them. And it fits the narrative much better. It cuts down on those goofy surprise moments. And it allows for awesome stealth gameplay. And all of that is thanks to the decision of picking the right camera perspective. I want to look at one more example of an effective camera perspective in a shooting game. And yeah, it's from another military-themed game. You'll have to forgive for the likeness of the examples. But I was hoping to show you... you can take a similar styled or themed game and approach it many different ways with different camera perspectives anyways the third game is called door kickers it might be more of an obscure game than the ones i've mentioned so far uh, but to sum it up it's a strategy game where you plan a tactical breach of a level you draw up all the orders that your swat team soldiers should do and they execute the orders and essentially you see how good of a plan you made It's reminiscent of the planning phase of the old Rainbow Six games, if you're familiar with that, which I realize now while recording that's an even deeper cut than Door Kickers. But there's someone out there right now who's listening, who was really into tactical shooters in 2000 and I'm blowing their mind right now. But for everyone else, you just have to picture it in your head. You have a blueprint of the building and you draw the path you want your guys to go in. Now, what's important is the camera perspective. There are tactical shooters where you control your squad as one of the squad members and you do that in first person. But in Door Kickers, you are viewing the blueprint of a building from a bird's eye view. And I think the tactics and strategy work much better from this perspective. It's easier to see your entire plan come together from this perspective and that makes sense just from a human preference standpoint. When you want to explain to somebody where something is, you draw them a map from your bird's eye view. It's actually really interesting and not something I thought about until I wrote this, but... Why do you think a bird's eye view comes so natural to humans when thinking about positioning? I think it's weird because we don't fly, so we don't really ever view things like that naturally. But it does seem like it's an inherent way for humans to look at plans. Like when two people come together... Uh, Even if they don't speak the same language, they'll draw a map or something on a 2D plane looking from a bird's eye view. It's just really interesting. If you have any thoughts or know why that is, uh, send me a tweet or go on the Discord or something. But the point is, I guess, the bird's eye view perspectives fit strategy games extremely well, just because it's inherent to how humans view strategy. I think if you're doing any kind of tactics game where positions of multiple things is important, bird's-eye view is the way to go. Now I do want to caution you, and this is a caution you need to take with all camera perspectives, but especially the bird's-eye view one. It's possible to have a camera angle that shows too much. Now I'm sure you can see how a bird's-eye camera view could show too much, especially in strategy games when there's a lot to pay attention to. Typically, we want to frame the gameplay so that it's easy for the player to focus on the action. But sometimes we can't do that with the framing and perspective alone. So what we should use is camera filters and shaders to better accentuate the important parts. You see this done in a lot of different ways. One of my favorites is heat map filters in strategy games. Imagine watching a battle of two large armies from the sky. When the two masses of soldiers collide, it just becomes like a lump of bodies, and it's hard to tell what's going on. No matter what perspective or frame you view it in, it's just hard to see where that front line between the two armies is. But if you put a subtle heat map filter over the armies, all of a sudden you can contextualize the masses as almost individual blobs. I think that helps tremendously in viewing and making sense of the battle. And I want to point out that filters aren't only useful in strategy games. Let's look at a third-person action game uh, like the Batman Arkham series. In those games, you play as Batman and one of his gadgets he can use is detective vision. With detective vision on, the camera has a sort of x-ray filter that identifies useful objects and can even see people through walls. Again, this is an example of the camera working to let you better play the character you probably have wondered how Batman sneaks around in the dark and can see. And now that you get to play as Batman, it makes perfect sense to have access to a tool like this. Imagine the game doesn't have a filter like this. And when it's dark, you have to squint your eyes and try to figure out what's going on in the room. It doesn't feel very much like Batman to be stumbling around in the dark. Not only does detective vision allow you to see better in the dark and become this Batman character, But it also focuses your vision on important objects. You can have extremely detailed environments, but sometimes it can be too much. You don't want to sacrifice the detail of your environment uh, because this is what makes it look good, but you also need the player to focus on something so they don't have to check every object in the room. If you slap a highlight filter on there, uh, you're good to go. You can keep all the detail of your environment you can highlight certain objects that are important for the game. Better yet, you can narratively contextualize this highlight filter with a cool gadget, for instance, like in Batman. So now that we know a little bit more about filters and perspectives and things like that, I want to talk about another thing that I think is extremely important when it comes to cameras, and that's the actual motion of the camera. In my opinion, the motion of the camera is one of the most undervalued things that contributes to a game's feel. It's one of those things that when it's done well, you're so caught up in the moment that you don't realize what is making the moment feel so good. But when it's done bad, it's immediately felt and just makes everything bad. Like I said earlier, it doesn't matter how good the other parts of the game are, Bad camera motion significantly lowers the feel and overall perceived quality of the game. So what are some ways to make the camera motion feel good? Well, the biggest thing I can think of is to avoid camera jitter. And I'm using jitter as a sort of a catch-all term from anything that results in the camera not feeling smooth. Sometimes camera jitter can be where there's hiccups every frame. Sometimes there's jitter introduced by the player because they're moving around in a jerky fashion and the camera isn't accounting for it. Sometimes there's even glitches involved where the camera can't figure out how it should be moving. Whatever the case, camera jitter is the number one thing to avoid, and I think there's a couple of ways to do it. Let's go back through our camera situations and identify a path to fixing it. In situation one, the camera is having hiccups. It's stuttering on frames or abruptly freezing for a half second every now and then. This usually means that there is a performance issue with your game. The game is taking longer to draw certain frames, and it's creating a disruption in the frames per second illusion of motion. The path to fixing this is investigating the performance. I touch on some performance stuff in episode 10 if you'd like to revisit that, and I've had these kind of jittery hiccup... I don't know what you want to call them... Performance freezes, or whatever we're going to call them. I've had this class of camera jitter before that's been caused by the physics system, actually. So, whenever you have this kind of jitter, it's worth looking into the performance and maybe even its jittery physics and not a jittery camera. Just something to keep in the back of your mind. Okay, the other situation that I mentioned that leads to camera jitter is jerky movements caused by the player or a bad camera follow system. Now when you first start making games, I assume one of the first things you're going to learn is how to make the player move with the camera. Usually beginners start with some sort of way of tying the camera to the player object so that when the player object moves, the camera moves with it. And this is usually done in a one-to-one fashion. In other words, the camera and player move at the exact same speed. This is okay for beginners, and if you're just starting, there's way more important things to learn and figure out, and you can use this sort of one-to-one fashion of moving the camera. But as you start to try and make games that look better and better, you'll want to tie the camera to the player on a not a one-to-one fashion. Instead, you'll want to use some kind of camera smoothing method. Camera smoothing is basically a catch-all term. Camera smoothing is basically a catch-all term that smooths out the movement of the camera. It reduces jerkiness and jitter caused by the player changing direction quickly. If you think about an intense 2D platformer, uh, one where you're moving back and forth a lot, it can be pretty jarring and nauseating to have the camera move with the same jerky speed and motions that the player object does. A camera smoothing technique may add delay, interpolation, or tweening to the camera in order to make its movement more smooth. The player is still allowed to move in these intense and jerky ways back and forth, but the camera just sort of calmly follows and frames the action. I've been trying to recommend more specific tools lately, and if you use Unity, there's no better camera smoothing tool than Cinemachine. Seriously, if your camera moves at all in your game, You should probably at least look at using Cinemachine in Unity. It's super easy to do and has great default smoothing options that I guarantee will improve the perceived quality of your game. Now you can get super deep into techniques of camera motion especially by studying other places like how they do it in the film industry. We're only really scratching the surface here but I would say the number one thing to do when focusing on your game's camera motion is to make sure it is buttery smooth. So look at adding delay, interpolation, things like that, that reduce that amount of jerky movement that moves with the player. And what you want is a calm and smooth camera that properly frames the action. Do that and you'll be well on your way to having a game that looks like it's quality. Let's quickly recap today's episode. Today's episode covered some tips for cameras in video games. The first thing we talked about was perspectives. Remember that certain perspectives work better for certain genres. Putting a lot of thought into which camera perspective will best serve your game is really important. We went over a few examples to illustrate the point. For games that focus on immersion, a first-person camera perspective is a really good choice. For games where you need to be aware of your character's positioning in the world, a third-person over-the-shoulder perspective works really well. For strategy games where making plans is important, a bird's-eye view or map view uh, might be the right choice. Remember that, especially for things like a bird's-eye view, it's possible to show too much. When this happens, it might be a good idea to make use of some camera filters. Filters that allow you to guide the player's attention and help show the things they should be seeing in the noise. And lastly, remember, we talked about the importance of the camera's motion. It's one of the core factors that a person will judge your game by, so you want to make sure that your camera does not jitter. Make use of those smoothing techniques to have a buttery smooth look for your game, and you'll really have a good first impression with the player, and they will feel like the game is a quality-made game just by experiencing uh, viewing it through your buttery smooth camera. So, yeah, that's going to do it for me today. Sorry this episode was a little late. You might be able to tell I'm losing my voice while doing this. I was out of power for a week. There's just there's just a lot going on right now. Speaking of a lot going on, by the time this episode comes out, we will have announced a uh, level design contest, the Game Dev Field Guide Level Design Challenge, I guess we'll call it. It's sort of replacing the November and December monthly game jam. It's going to be super fun. Um, You don't need that much time to do it. I think anyone can do it. Like find time to make a level or two uh, in this holiday season. And that was kind of the point. So yeah, you really should uh, check it out. Go on over to our community Discord. There'll be an announcement about it and all sorts of good stuff where you can see that. So yeah, go check that out. Should be a lot of fun. With that, I'm going to sign off. I have been Zachavelli. And I need to go study the 8-point Venn diagram to figure out which snake is which in the Metal Gear Solid series.